Welcome to the final meeting, the December 8th, 2022 meeting of 2022. Gee, that wasn't that wasn't a well-constructed sentence, was it? Oh, well, too bad. Well, let's see who's all here. Roger and Martin and Sherry. Sherry, three of us. I thought there was someone else here, another another lady before, but I don't know. I thought I I I, I guess well, I should I, look. When at I first you. came in, it seemed like there was. Mm. But I, oh, I think it was just me. I think. Oh, okay. Hmm. I thought she had a higher voice, but maybe you were just maybe you were speaking in falsetto. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Hmm. Just to trip okay. you guys up. <laughs> well, what do you think? Should Roger go first again? Why okay? not? Why not? Thanks. Uh, okay, I guess there I'm he is. chosen. You are the chosen one. Okay. This time I bring you Lost Destiny, a Blood of Kerensky novel by Michael A. Stackpole. I know that. And, and I am going to compare this to Star Wars. So let me start out by talking about Star Wars. Star Wars was actually a pretty bad movie in the sense that it didn't live up to a lot of things that good movies are said to live up to. That is, the plot had, huh? the plot was something that had been done many times before and it was kind of weak the acting wasn't that great the dialogue was stilted and all of that but the visual effects were utterly fantastic and I count myself lucky that I got to see Star Wars before I lost my eyesight because that really was a monumental event with those visual effects um but the trouble is, like I said, the other things that go into making a good movie just weren't there so much. And when you have a Star Wars novel, that really shows because with a Star Wars novel, you don't have the visual effects. And they are written by different authors. So some of them are better than others. Sometimes the writing is fairly good and sometimes not so good, but even when it's good, it is still constrained by having to be in the Star Wars universe and having to adhere to the uh, Star Wars history and all of that. And frankly, I find Star Wars novels mostly to be just kind of, they come off as kind of silly to me. Now, as for the uh, Lost Destiny. Um, I think it's similar. This is a, a well, there's a, uh, I said it's Blood of Dest Blood of Kerensky novel, but it's part of a broader series called Battletech. And I tell you, most of it just involves descriptions of battles. It's, there is an interstellar war going on. By the way, no space aliens. They're all humans fighting each other. It seems to be kind of like a family feud. You have the clans versus the Kerenskys. And by the way, um, if you are a Kerensky, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are related to the Kerensky family. 
because um, that's also a blood name. If you show yourself to be very heroic in battle and all of that kind of stuff, you can get the blood name Kerensky and be a Kerensky, even if uh, you're not related to the actual family who wields the power among the Kerenskys. Um, the, it's a little short on space battles, unless you count maybe a hand-to-hand -hand combat in zero gravity inside a spaceship. Um, most of the battles it describes are done by um, something called battle mechs. Uh, be sure you distinguish that from battle tech. But battle mechs, which are about are humanoid robots about um, 10 to 12 meters tall, which are absolutely armed, armed all over by lasers and um, missile launchers and cannons and what have you, but they are not autonomous robots. Each one has a pilot inside, a human pilot, and... Uh, Basically, they get on the battlefield. It takes place on the ground of this or that planet or whatever, and they blow each other apart. Between battles, there is some dialogue where they sit around talking about how they really don't like killing people. They hate killing people, but they have all this duty and honor and all of that to consider. And, well, <laughs> I guess... You've probably heard those kind of speeches in war movies before. Um, this all takes place in the year 3052, about a thousand years from now. And the war has been going on for about 300 years. And it really is unclear what they are fighting over. I don't think they know what they're fighting over themselves, but um, right in the very end of the book, there's kind of a glossary, and in the glossary itself, when defining words, there is something about the history of it, and it's so minor, though, that I can't even remember exactly what it said about how they started fighting, but they've been doing it for 300 years now, and, well, now imagine these battles going on. Imagine it on the screen like you're seeing a movie. And you'll see what I mean by, uh, well, I said Star Wars was basically just a, what little plot it had was an excuse to hang the visual effects on. Um, that was the main thing about Star Wars. The visual effects were its big selling point. And apparently in this book, that's the main selling point too. But, <clears throat> that doesn't mean that there's necessarily a movie about it. Here's what I found out. The Battletech series is a Saturday morning cartoon. Mm -hmm. Now, I have not watched Saturday morning cartoons since I was a child myself. Um, but I understand they've come a long way. It is computer-enhanced um, animation. And I think that's something that I lost my eyesight a little too early to actually see. I understand 
that it um, that they had it in Jurassic Park, uh, and um, it made the dinosaurs you could actually see their muscular, well, their muscles stretching and rippling and all of that, and made it look very, very realistic. So, if this computer enhanced animation is what I understand it to be. It makes it look very, very real. Well, the Battletech series of cartoons on Saturday morning is computer enhanced animation. So I suppose it just doesn't quite look like the cartoons that I remember from when I was a child. Now, you might think that if it's a Saturday morning cartoon, the book is probably for children. I cannot say that I detected that it was for children at all. In fact, not even young adult, because uh, in young adult books, they make a point that the all the main characters are teenagers. I don't think anybody's age was mentioned in this book, so they all seem to be adults adult warriors, mostly warriors and so on. And um, so what the impression I get is that the story itself, what there is of the story is like Star Wars, just an excuse to hang the visual effects on. That if, if you could see the Battletech cartoons, you might appreciate it a lot more. Um, personally, um, well, not being able to see it and reading it in a novel where you wouldn't have the moving pictures at all anyway, it just didn't come off that great for me. So I <clears throat> finished it just this morning and then promptly went to Goodreads and gave it two stars out of five. I didn't give it one star because, well, I guess there were some redeeming qualities, but I can't really say that I thought this was something that was really good. So there you have it. That's the one I brought to you this tonight. Mm. All right. Well, actually, um, this isn't really about movies, but I'm just going to mention that uh, the first Star Wars movie, which was actually the fourth one, but I won't get into that. Um, but then when they got to the second one and the third one, I actually started getting into the story more because you have the dynamic between Luke and his father. You find out who his father really is and Luke's learning the force. And I'm, I, I'm interested in uh, these kinds of mystical types of uh, um, SF. Uh, and there is an element of that in the Star Wars universe. Uh, it could have been you know, better, I suppose, but, you know, the Luke's learning and then he's, you know, his character changes and, you know, and him and his father and of course the whole, that I, so I, I kind of got into it more as it went along. Uh, Do you have enough vision that you were able to see all the special nope, nothing. Well, nothing I, at all. I wonder I, how, how well video, video description would capture the things that Probably not as good. Oh, it, it, it wasn't. I, I, I no. The honest truth, as a formerly fully sighted person, I can tell you that if you try a movie being blind, 
description or not, you don't know what you're missing and you are missing a lot. So, oh, yeah, I imagine. Yeah, so no, um, the, no amount of description could give you the feel of the actual visual effects Star Wars had. But I, I will say, poor story or not, that those visual effects were utterly, utterly fantastic. <laughs> well, I like did hear video descriptions of, I did hear video descriptions of the first three movies, um, yeah. the um, Phantom Menace and, and uh, Attack and the um, Revenge of the Sith, which actually I like that movie, um, but because that's that's Anakin's descent. And take, uh, but anyway, they blow up a spaceship and here comes the debris at you. Mm. I swear you duck. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they were video descriptions, but I, I'm, and I have never seen very much, but I can imagine, I mean, besides they can't step on the dialogue, there's severe mm -hmm. limits to what they can tell you. Especially you when know, there's a lot so, of action. Yeah. Right. So anyhow, um, Martin, yes. you, do you have a book? You yeah. I'm going to do something to help me with my memory. I'm going to read on the Victor reader here, the, from the book jacket. The book is called um, Survivor. It's the first book of a, of a I think, a three-part series from called Species Imperative by Julie Charneda. Oh, I've heard of her. Yeah. So let me let me play here the the um, the description, which gives a good idea. Then I'll give my uh, comments about it. So here we go. From the book jacket, herself a biologist. Julie E. Chernada has earned a reputation in science fiction circles for her ability to create beautifully crafted, imaginative, yet believably realized alien races. In Survival, the first novel in her new series, Species Imperative, she draws upon this talent to build races, characters, and a universe which will draw readers into a magnificent tale of interstellar intrigue as an Earth scientist is caught up in a terrifying interspecies conflict. Senior co-administrator of the Norcoast Salmon Research Facility, Dr. Mackenzie Connor, Mac to her friends and colleagues, was a trained biologist whose work had definitely become her life. And working at Norcoast Base, set in an ideal location, just where the Tanu River sped down the west side of the Rocky Mountains, to the Pacific Coast was the perfect situation for Mac. She and fellow scientist Dr. Emily Mamani were just settling in to monitor this year's salmon runs when their research was interrupted by the unprecedented arrival of Bryn, the first member of the alien race known as the Trin to ever set foot on Earth. Brim was an archaeologist, and much of his research had focused on a region of space known as the Chasm a part of the universe that was literally dead, all of its worlds empty of any life forms, though traces existed of the civilizations that must once have flourished in the region. Brim had sought out Mac because she was a biologist, a discipline strictly forbidden among his own people, and he felt that through her expertise, she might be able to help him discover what had created the chasm. But Mac had little interest in alien races, and in studies that ranged beyond Earth, and as politely as she was capable of, she tried to make it clear that she was unwilling to abandon her own work. 
However, the decision was soon taken out of her hands when a mysterious and devastating attack on the base resulted in the abduction of Emily and forced Mac to flee for her life with Bryn and the Earth special agents who were escorting him. Suddenly, it appeared that Earth itself might be under attack by the legendary race the Dryn called the Roe, the beings they thought might be the destructive force behind the chasm. Cut off from everything and everyone she knew, Mac found herself in grave danger and charged with the responsibility of learning everything she could that might possibly aid Earth in protecting the human race from extinction. Okay, that pretty well gives a, 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 a description, an overall description of the book. Um, it's, I found her to be a little obnoxious, you know, she, um, the way the, the author portrays her, you know, she's sort of like a smart aleck type person. <laughs> but um, what was interesting is the descriptions of, of where she's doing her research on the ocean. And there's a lot of, um, she has a, a like a <clears throat> large, number of floating uh, labs there and a lot of students come to study the salmon and everything and then this uh, alien shows up with uh, escorted by a, a special agent and then there's a sort of flirting between Mackenzie and this uh, and this agent to some degree but it's very interesting how they describe the alien what he looks like and everything and in the, while they're you know while she's getting to know them she hear some strange sounds in her room and then there's something like slime and it turns out that these creatures, which they mentioned the name of, apparently are interested in kidnapping her because they feel that she could present a danger by disclosing what they're up to. So then um, the only way to, say, to save her is to have her go to visit the, uh, the world of, of these, uh, these aliens who at first, you know, the whose representative came there. So it describes a lot of, of her going there, trying to learn her language, because this takes place far in the future. So they have an interstellar stellar language also among all the different planets. Um, the book ends in a very strange way. I'm not sure if I fully understand. It turns out that that the, the these aliens are really the danger and not the ones that we thought were the danger to humanity. And the second book picks up on them which I don't think I'm going to read, uh, where where she goes and tries to help them fight against the the original what we thought were the gentle aliens, but it, it has a lot of science fiction elements. They use, for instance, a type of um, of um, small device that shoots a screen like a laptop, but this actually puts a screen right in front of you, so you can actually it's right in midair where you can do you know bring up files and research and things like that. So. So there is quite a bit of science fiction in it too. So it, it was it, the book was good. As I said, I found I found the the woman Mackenzie to be a little bit obnoxious to me in the way they presented her. But apart from that, I thought it was pretty good. If it was pretty good, why don't you want to read the rest of them? Uh, I don't know because I, I want to try something different. I, I suppose oh, I, okay. because it follows basically the same the, the same uh, overall uh, plot apparently. Mm. I could. I mean, I can download the second yeah. one. Do that. Maybe. Well, well, I'll decide. <laughs> but anyway, that's the book. I, I think you know people would find it interesting to to read. Mm. It's well, on Bard. It sounded interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's on Bard. I like Mary Kane. Right. So, 
Well, I, I recognized her voice. Maybe we can choose another book for all of us to read. <laughs> then I won't have to read. Well, I'll read it again anyway. Yeah, we could. Yeah, we could. Uh, we could. Well, so you guys be thinking about that next month, and um, I'll be thinking about it. Uh, Sherry? Well, we're not going to want to read the book I read. Um, oh. It's called The Beautiful Land by Alan Averill. Yeah. Mm. And it's about um, our hero, Tack, who has a longer Japanese name, but he goes by Tack. He was recruited by the Axon Corporation to help them build a time machine. And he accomplishes that. And Axon, it's not really a time machine in the sense of going to different time periods. It, it goes to alternate timelines, so alternate worlds <coughs> that develop differently. And Axon, being the evil corporation they are, their real purpose was to find a timeline where they can rule the world. And the CEO <laughs> of Axon, Charles Yates, he wants to go even farther. He doesn't care about the corporation. He personally wants to rule the world. Mm. So Tack has taken off with this time machine and because they were going to kill him anyway because they were done with him. And he finds his friend Sam, I, I think her name's Samira or something like that. Uh, she has some psychological problems. She was a translator in the Afghan war and saw some really horrible stuff. And she also has this kind of cleaning compulsion. And I guess he just wants to take her to some land where they can just hang out and not be chased down and killed. So they try a few places and this Charles Yates guy in the meanwhile, he has set up human conduits to various time, alternate time places. Mm -hmm. So there's like 50 or 60 humans strapped down to gurneys in this place with little outlets in the back of their head strapped to some machine that he uses to jump to time. I'm not, that's why I didn't like this book. It's not clear why he needed to do that when they invented this other time machine. <clears throat> but in any case, mm -hmm. Charles plans on going to the place that he calls the beautiful land and killing everybody in every other timeline. So he doesn't have to worry about anybody else finding this place where he can rule. Um, Tack and Sam end up in the beautiful land and it's not even clear there's other people there, but I guess perhaps there are, doesn't say. Charles creates, he kills all the conduits and he creates this, they describe it as a virus, but it's a bunch of crows that are evil and they go to all these timelines and just start killing everybody in sight. Oh, really? And there's dumb stuff like at one point, Tack and Sam break into this boarded up house and the basement window is really small, so only Sam can fit through it. And instead of going upstairs and letting Tack in, she rummages around in the basement and finds tools and hands them out the window. And then he goes up and breaks the door down. And just little things like that I found really annoying. Um, uh, it doesn't even... Uh, there's also a woman named Judith that created a fail-safe backup to the original timeline so that um, Yates and Axon don't know about it. And they find Judith and they try to get to this original timeline to set everything straight. And it's just not that great. Yeah, great. Wow. Martin, you're the only one that brought a book that's even half good <laughs> this time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because... Um, well, what's the name of that one again? Just for the beautiful land by Alan Averill, A V E R. Where's that at? Is that it's on Bard. Yeah, it's only about ten hours. Oh, okay. 
All right. Yeah, because somebody out there might want to try it. They might think it's just their cup of tea. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I think about I think about alternate worlds sometimes. It's like, an interesting concept. Where, yeah. Uh, Frank, is there a world where Frank Herbert lives long enough to finish his own Dune series? His <laughs> son and Kevin Anderson write all these cheesy sequels and prequels and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I just I read a book like about that. A, I think about a book called AQ. I think it's called AQ eighty four. Like forty some hours long. It's more oh, fantasy man. science fiction, but it does deal with it, some a slightly altered world. It's by a Japanese Japanese author that takes place in Japan. Mm. It was uh, it was an interesting concept. A moon. What was it called? AQ. I think it's called AQ eighty four. I believe. Forty mm. hours, roughly. Yep. Wow. Wow. Cheapers. Well, I don't think we're going to choose that one for. <laughs> I guess not. Everyone yeah. to read. Well, I am going to pan all systems red. The Murder Bot Diaries, Volume 1. There are six of these, as far as I know. So apparently they're selling. These are novellas, actually. They're not really long novels. I don't know how long it is on Bard. I didn't read the Bard version. Uh, Lissy and I read the Bookshare version. I read it to her. Yeah, but they are on Bard, at least some of them. Uh. Um, it's about a robot. And... Um, and she is, she acts as a security unit. The author's into abbreviations. So she's actually a SEC unit, S-E-C capital U-N-I-T. And um, she's there to protect a team uh, uh, assessing this world for colonization. And um, so the plot is that they seem to be not they they are missing information like their maps are not completely accurate and there's clearly someone trying to sabotage their mission um there's this hostel that uh apparently lives in tunnels or comes up and comes up out of the ground and it the way the book opens with it trying to attack one of the members of the team and she has to save it um the murder bot that is has to save the, the guy, but we, we get no description of, of what this creature is or anything. Um, so somebody's trying to sabotage their mission. Um, she actually, this, this, this murder bot is actually has supposed to have a governor in it so she can remain under the control of humans, but she has uh, hacked it so that she isn't actually under the control of the governor but at, or at the beginning of the book, when this man is attacked by whatever this creature is, she gets an instruction to not help him, but she ignores it because, you know, she's hacked her governor and stuff. And there's another scene not too far in where um, they're, um, they, um, oh, never mind. I'll tell you in order. Uh, they have another expedition. There's another expedition, which is actually a little bigger. That's, you know, on the other side of the planet and they lose touch with them. So they get into their, one of their hoppers or copters or whatever. And they decide to fly over there. At least some of them decide to fly over there and investigate. And their autopilot cuts out just before they're about to hit a mountain. Uh, luckily there's a pilot 
on the, you know, and in the cockpit that's able to avoid it. But, you know, that was another, and they start to get the idea that, that uh, they're being sabotaged by something or someone. And they get to the uh, other expedition, the bigger expedition on the other side of the planet and everybody in there is killed. And um, so they finally uh, find out who's been doing it and why, but the problems with the book, I mean, that's, that's the basic plot. The problem with the book is there's no real characters in it. There are no human characters. There's a paragraph that tells you who the couples are and one of them is a loner and, and that's about all you know about these people. They just talk, you know, they're one of them, you know, they're basically names attached to bits of dialogue. Um, the murder bot herself, the reason she got that name is because her on a previous on her previous mission, the, her governor malfunctioned, which is why she hacked it. And she killed 57 people uh, in a mining operation where she was supposed to be protecting them. But they didn't destroy her because these robots are too expensive to destroy and the corporations are cheap. And they talk constantly in this book about how cheap the company is and how they provide them with substandard equipment and substandard everything. So that's what they attributed the messing information in their maps because their maps didn't all show everything that they're supposed to show where, you know, where the mountains all, all and, and other things were. Um, and um, they attributed to just cheap, you know, corporate, you know, corner cutting. Um, so it takes them a little while to cotton on to the idea that they're being sabotaged. But this robot who we, we know nothing about her except for that she killed these people and she's hacked her governor, except a couple of things. She uh, likes to download uh, dramas from the feed, as they, she calls it serial dramas you know about people uh you know in space and you know kind of like um some stuff you see i don't know if you watch it on the learning channel or whatever where they have you know really strange all odd people and dramas and stuff about um only these are in space um and she doesn't like to talk about her feelings and she doesn't like to be looked at very much that's about all we know about her but she has she has organic parts, and we I don't know if it's her you know if, if she's a cyborg or a robot. She does have weapons on her arms apparently, and she she has other and she has armor, but she has organic parts and along with her inorganic parts. So we have no idea whether she was, uh, you know, a, an originally a person who was you know got or inorganic parts attached or if for some reason they gave her, an, you know, they built this robot and gave her inorganic parts for some reason or organic parts for some reason. Um, so, but there, there, there's no, you wouldn't know you were on a different planet if, if she didn't tell you every once in a while. There's no, no imagination in this at all. Um, it's just boring. That's the word that Lissy and I both came up with when we finished it. Um, yeah, I mean, they talk and talk about who might be hacking them and, you know, what if they're doing this and what if they're doing that? And, you know, you've, you guys, I'm sure some of you have read mysteries where they go through all this and all this. And what if they're, you know, maybe they're doing this and doing that, or what if it's this way and that way and the other thing. And, and it just goes on and on like that, you know, for a lot of the book. And, 
we just, uh, we're not going on with any of more of the books because as I said, there are no actual characters. I mean, and you can write, I mean, some really great science fiction classics were not really strong on characters. I mean, a lot of the old literature wasn't about characters really, but if you have some really good ideas, you have a good imagination, you create an exotic environment, you know, you create a sense of wonder, you know, you, I don't know, you create an alien ship for people to explore like Clark did with Rendezvous with Rama or, you know, um, stuff like that. I mean, you can make really good science fiction without good characters, but you have to have something. This book doesn't, you know, it doesn't have a sense of wonder. It doesn't have an exotic environment. There's no exploring of anything. There's no characters. There's, it's just a basic plot where these people are, you know, um, supposed to explore this plan. We don't actually see them exploring that much. Um, and then, you know, somebody's trying to sabotage them. We finally find out why. Um, I don't know if I should give it away or not. Maybe I shouldn't because there are people, apparently these are kind of popular. If she's written six of them, at least that I know of. So maybe I shouldn't explain the final, you know, how, but by the time we figured out what it was, or by the time she told us what it was, we were, we were ready to quit anyhow. But as I said, it's, they're, they're not very long. Um, maybe a couple of hours on board. I don't know. Um, two or three, three at the most, probably. Um, that's it. We are, we are done with those. So it was just very boring and not very imaginative and not many characters. And that was it. Um, all systems read the Murderbot Diaries, volume one or whatever. That was it. Good to know so, what to avoid. Yeah. And by the way, I'm going to mention on here, and I don't know how many people listen to this, but, and I was going to mention it on DB review, but I just haven't got around to it yet. There's a biography there's an autobiography of George Takei from oh. uh, Star Trek, Mr. S but uh, it's only three hours long and Lucy and I read through it and we were thinking, gee, that's an awful short you know, autobiography. Why is it so short? But, you know, uh, but when you get to the end of it, and this is the kicker, when you get to the closing announcements, not the, not the NLS closing announcements, but the closing announcements from the commercial audio publisher, it says, Abridged by Sophie Martin. Oh. Yep. Um, but it says at the beginning that it's an unabridged recording, which oh. technically it is. The recording is unabridged. The book is abridged. Oh, man. So That's awful. I've never seen, I don't know that, NLS is doing this now. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not aware that they've ever done well, any others, right. which one, is why I mentioned it because it never occurred to us yeah, that it was a bridge. Once we before, kept wondering why it was so short. Once but before, the book is abridged. Once before, an abridged book did get on Bard mm -hmm. and people were complaining about it. And the Bard staff sent out an announcement that, um, Posting abridged books was totally against their philosophy and all of that. And they did not realize that they were recording an abridged book until it was too late. But it was already in the Bard collection now, and it was too late to withdraw it. But there was one that was abridged, but that was a mistake. This one mm -hmm. might also have been a mistake. But let me go back to Murder by the Moment. I was trying to get this in and 
nobody would be quiet long enough for me to say it. <laughs> um, Sorry. I have not read the murder bot books myself, but on Goodreads, they have an algorithm that recommends books to you based on what people who like the books that you liked also read and liked. And I, I don't know. Well, Goodreads is constantly recommending murder bot books to me. Mm -hmm. So I haven't read one. Maybe it's not that great, but for some reason, the people who read the books I read seem to like it. Mm. Well, uh, as I said, they're, they're obviously popular. I mean, I heard they were bestsellers. So um, that's, you know. Did you by uh, any chance send an email mm. to NLS to let them know that that book's abridged? Because maybe if they know no, it. I didn't. They'll, they'll no, might. I didn't send them one. Okay, I, I could do that. Yeah, that might be a good idea. I thought they, you know, because they must have heard the closing announcements. I would assume they must have heard what the commercial audio producer said about the book. I would have thought. I don't know if they listened to them or not, or they just put them out there. I don't know. Yeah, that. Well, you might be right. I hadn't thought of that. Maybe they. You might be right there. I would imagine. I would imagine that if it's a commercial audio book, they assume it's already been edited and checked and all of that kind of stuff. And they may just go ahead and well, yep. insert the NLS announcements and stuff and just mm-hmm. let it go without reading it through. Cause they should withdraw yep. it, take it off the thing and get the real one. But it's read by George Takei himself. Oh, wow. So that is a bonus. Yeah, it would be he reads his own abridged autobiography and i don't know if he reads his own unabridged autobiography or not so that is uh something to consider because you know it's pretty cool listening to him read his oh yeah his autobiography he's a cool guy or yeah. Not. yeah so but but this murder bot i mean it was just so boring i mean i mean i mean the planet there's no descriptions of anything hardly there's no, no. i mean it's just like is this, you know, this is what people buy. I mean, they think it's science fiction. I mean, it's just boring. I mean, anyway, uh, that's it. So I'm reading. I don't know what I'm going to read yet for next month. I, I'm, I've stalled out on Norfolk Gloss right now, but I might get back to it. Um, I have other stuff to read. Um uh, I don't know. We're reading Christmas books right now, so Lucy and I aren't reading anything, you know, science fictional till next year. There has to be um, somewhere so, out there a Christmas science fiction book. I've never, oh, I've yeah. never seen one, but there must be one. Yeah, I haven't either that I can recall. There are short. I think that like the magazines, at least when. Yeah. I can't bring any to mind after all these years, but I think the magazines had short stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's a Spanish writer, and I can't remember his name, who wrote sort science fiction that takes place at the time of Jesus, and is and is presented as mm. if you're really like like an alien or something like that. I can't remember now. Hmm. That sounds interesting. If you think of it, send it to the list. Right. By the way, this morning I said I finished Lost Destiny, and immediately afterwards I started a fantasy book called The Magicians by Lev 
I forget his last name now, but um, it's fantasy, so it's a bit off topic for this discussion, but it looks pretty good so far. And mm -hmm. I, I, of course, went to Goodreads to put it on my bookshelf is currently reading, and I noticed it's pretty popular, too. The number of people who have read it and rated it are, I forget the exact number, but it's well over 100,000. So wow. apparently this is a well-known book that I didn't know about until I started it this morning, and it, it, it looks good, but it is a fantasy. Mm -hmm. if you're, if yeah, you're, well, they're putting fantasy and science fiction in, together everywhere now. Mm -hmm. Everywhere. And I hate that. <laughs> it's in, you know, it's in the same category. You know, the, a lot of bard books you see. Oh, no, I don't want to start yeah, reading. But yeah. a bard books, you see the same science fiction and fantasy right beside each other in the same book. Yeah. I yeah. see it a lot now. Yeah. I've noticed I that, mean, too. I don't. I, and, uh, what, some of the descriptions what? sound like sort of both. I mean, it's on another planet, but then there's a fantasy element. And I. Yeah. What gets to me, what gets to me is that, um, okay, if you're, if you're not a science fiction or a fantasy fan, you might not be able to tell the difference. The, the two genres are about as far apart as any two genres of fiction can be. But if you don't, if you're not into either, you might not be able to tell the difference. But good grief, how do actual regular fans of either science fiction or fantasy not know the difference but apparently there are a lot who don't <laughs> well you... they're putting up these anthologies now with science fiction and fantasy together mm -hmm. and the best science fiction fan and they're half as long as gardner goes was full science fiction collections where i still miss him i'll always miss him mm -hmm. uh but uh i mean he had a 40-hour best of the year anthology and it was all science fiction or close enough and now we've got these best of science fiction and fantasy of the year, and they're like 25 hours or 20. Mm. So you get like a third as much science fiction and the best of anthology as you used to get. Oh, man. Well, how would anyway. you guys categorize a book? And I'm just making this up. I don't know of this book. People are traveling in space, going from planet to planet, looking for something. But on the spacecraft, they have people that can do magic. And uh, other elements of fantasy, which would you categorize that as? Okay, I, I think I learned the answer of that. And I keep talking about Goodreads a lot, but I think I learned the answer to that from Goodreads. Now, first of all, it really annoys me when they mix science fiction and fantasy into one book. And the only person who can do it, make it come off decently, I think, is Stephen King. But um, on Goodreads, there is a category a genre they use the word genre very loosely so a lot of things that they call genre i wouldn't exactly call a genre but there is a genre that they refer to called um science fantasy and they ah, define okay. it and yes as a matter of fact what they call science fantasy does appear to be uh science fiction elements and fantasy elements mixed in one story mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. i think they that's I a good name. Yeah. Really feel like they should be separated. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. But you know, there's overlap all over the place, such as oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't West mind that Western, too much. Westerns, almost all westerns have a romance element in it. Well, yeah. You can still tell when you're reading a western and when you're reading a romance, though. 
Right. But saying nobody confuses them, but boy, do they ever confuse science fiction and fantasy, which are farther apart than Westerns and romance, by the way. The next meeting of the Science Fiction Club will be on Thursday, January the 13th. So you guys have, wait, did I say the 13th? I think I meant the 12th. Yeah, January the 12th, okay. 2023. I got to get used to saying wow, 2023. Yeah. So uh, you have five weeks um, to read something, in whatever it is, good okay. or bad. <laughs> and then don't forget, think about uh, what you guys want the whole group to read in January and come with some ideas. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that you want to suggest to the, to the group to, that you think might be worth reading. Uh, we'll talk about them. 